Hallelujah. We begin tonight's message in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're beginning in verse number 1. We're looking at and picking up a passage in the New Testament as Paul's reflecting. He's bringing out this beautiful truth about how Moses led the nation of Israel. Now, on the, in the New Testament, as we look back as how Moses led the nation of Israel, it don't sound too bad. But if you go back and you read Exodus... Moses had a time. Amen? You ever, you ever try to lead around a mule? It don't work. It don't work. And, and so Moses, he had, the, he had the nation of Israel that God had commissioned him to lead back, uh, you know, into the land of Midian. And, and it says in, in chapter 10, verse 1, he says, Moreover, brethren, I would... Not that you should be ignorant how that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat that same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Now here, I want to point out something. The Bible just so eloquently and beautifully says that, that they all went through the sea. But, and they all ate. And they all drank. Yes, they did. Hallelujah, they did. But you know that they, they went across that sea like mules? When, when they came up to that sea, God had brought them out of Egypt and, and they came to that where the two mountains were and they were in that valley, they were stuck. Pharaoh's army was hot on their trail. The enemy was right up on them. In front of them was the sea. To the left and to the right was mountains that they couldn't pass. There was over a million of them. They were stuck. They were stuck. And they desired to not be there. God brought them out of Egypt supernaturally, and in the place where they were stuck, they didn't want to be there. Can I just tell you something before we go forward? Wherever God has you is a good place to be. I don't want to go through this mountain again. If God's having you go through it again, it's for the best thing. I don't want to go through this season. God's with you in this season. There's sometimes there's good seasons and bad seasons, but God's good every day. His mercies are new every morning. And if God be for me, who can be against me? This season may not be the one I want to be in, but God's in it, so that's okay. Right? Are you with me? So God produces a deliverance. Have you ever had that in your life where God brings about an awesome deliverance and then you wake, maybe you wake up the next day or a few weeks later and you're like, this is not what I want. This is not what I want. Sometimes, you know, the grass is greener on the other side. You get in over on the other side, and you realize that there's moles on that side of the fence too. Right? Do you know that they had to trust God in order to get out of Egypt? They had to put the blood over the doorposts. I've never heard of this, Moses. This is crazy. I'm not putting blood over my door. I'm telling you, if you don't do it, the angel of the Lord's going to come and kill your firstborn. You better do it. They had to trust God in order to get out of Egypt. They trusted. They went through this season. And then right there, they come up to the Red Sea. Red Sea didn't part as soon as they got there. Sometimes the miracle don't come right away. Sometimes God will try your faith before the miracle comes. Right? Do mountains move just because you show up? Or do they move when you believe? Right? So the nation of Israel comes up to this mountain and they get shaken. You know why they were shaken? Because their foundation was not their trust in God. You know who's, you know who's faith was their trust in God? Joshua and Caleb. They looked at the giants in the land and they said, I don't care. God said it's ours, it's ours. I don't care, right? 
You can only look at a giant. You can only look at an adversary. You can only look at the enemy who's bigger than you, badder than you, and, and stare it and say, I don't care because God said it. So I'm just believing what God said. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care what it smells like. I don't even care what it appears like. God said we are victorious in this situation, and I'm going to believe God, regardless of how it appears, right? Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of the whole nation that came out. They were the only two that got to go into the promised land because they were the only two whose foundation was God. Everyone else's foundation, you can see it clearly, was circumstances. You, you, and, and it says here that they all went through the sea, and then it says in, in, the, in verse 3 that they all did eat that spiritual meat. You know what that was? That was that manna. They ate manna, they ate quail. How did they do that? After they complained. They all ate, but Moses went through it with them because they got into that place and they began to get upset. They began to murmur. They began to complain. Uh, you know, we had all kinds of food when we were slaves in Egypt. We had all kinds of, you know what? You, you probably... You probably didn't have as many problems when you was a sinner on the, on the surface. You know why? Because if you're going downstream with the devil, he's not going to be picking on you. He's already got you. You begin to turn and you begin to go towards God, you're going to face opposition. If you're living in this world and you're not facing opposition, there's a problem because the Bible says to be that this world is at enmity with God. And last time I checked, that verse is still for now. It's not going to be until the millennial reign that those things change, when the, when the lion and the lamb lay together, right? And the wolf, and they eat straw, and the children lead them about. But up until then, we've got sin in this world. And anytime there's sin in the world, it's in opposition towards God. So anyways... The, the Bible just clearly says, okay, they went through the sea. They, they all ate. They all drank. There was problems before all of that. There was problems before all that. This, this verse reminds me of, of those situations where you see on the surface, you can see a duck on a pond, and it looks as calm as it can be, but under the surface, his little feet are just pedaling. If you could look under the surface, right? But on top, it, well, this verse on top, it just looks like, hey, they all went through, they all ate, they all drank. But there were all kinds of problems before that. All kinds of problems. Why? Because their foundation wasn't God. God had to literally drag them. He, he literally had to drag them through the Red Sea. He literally had to just rain down manna upon them. He gave them so much quail, they got tired of eating it. Yeah, I mean, he, they made God mad. They really did. Because of their constant lack of trust. Far be it from us as New Testament believers to get to a place where our foundation is not simply that trust in God. Far be it from us that God would have to lead us by the nose and shove bread or quail down our throat till we're tired of it because we're just so like mules in our trust with God. Now, turn with me to Psalm chapter 11. Psalm chapter number 11. I want to ask you, what is your foundation? What is your foundation? Psalm 11. Now, when... when we're looking at our foundation. We're, we're definitely looking at in regard to our life with God. How? How do we face problems? Do we face problems with trusting God, knowing that he is who he said he is? He'll do what he said he'll do? And we are who he says we are? Or do we allow our problems to define us? Do we allow our problems to define our families? Do we allow our problems to define the church? Do we allow our problems to define the world today? 
Are we going to claim those promises of God? Now watch this. In Psalm 11, verse number 1. Psalm 11, verse number 1. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? Now David's talking to the enemy. You know, sometimes you got to talk to the enemy. Right? Sometimes you got to say, you know what? Greater is he that's in me than he is in this world. Sometimes you got to speak. Now, and David is speaking to the enemy. He says, I'm trusting in the Lord. How are you going to tell me to run like a bird? How are you going to tell me to? Now, why would an enemy tell you to run like a bird? Why would the enemy tell you to run away? You know that the enemy doesn't want you to fight for your family? Do you know that the enemy doesn't want you to pray for your spouse? The enemy doesn't want you to pray for your grandchildren? The enemy doesn't want you to pray for your neighbor? The enemy doesn't want you to pray for your church? He certainly doesn't want you to pray for your nation or people in the opposite political party? But God died on the cross for them. He spilled his blood for them. How are we going to let the devil tell us to not touch on that? Our job is to spend our lives for those around us. That's our job. When was the last time we just tarried before God? Tarried before God for someone else, not for ourselves. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Look, any old covetous person in the world will do that. All they need is a lamp and rub it so they can get a genie and do what they want with their covetous self. Get past that. Get to the place where God can use you. Get to that place where you'll find your purpose and place in God. And spend yourself. If you're lost in idolatry, the devil doesn't need to mess with you. If you're stuck on yourself, all he's going to do is give you a mirror, a bigger mirror, so you can see yourself clearer. But if you'll begin to pray for your children and not let up, if you'll begin to, to fast and pray for your marriage or your grandchildren or your cousins or your parents, if you'll begin to cry out on behalf of others, the devil will start pushing. He'll start pushing. And David said, how are you going to tell me to flee? I trust in God. As soon as you, look, there's, there's certain things that you, begin to, that you begin to tread upon, you become a target for the enemy. This was uh, Leonard Ravenhill's goal. He said, you know, to be like Paul, because when, when the sons of Sceva were, were turned upside down and, and went out running naked, that spirit said, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? But do you realize that, that the devil knew Paul? This guy is tearing some stuff up for the kingdom of God. He was on the devil's radar. He was on the most wanted list, right? He was on the most wanted list in hell. I think that probably is probably the hall of fame in heaven. This, this I want you to see. It's when you begin to spend your life for the gospel for others so that you can see them find victory, so that you can see them delivered, so that you can see them set free, so that you can see them go to this place that they've never been before. Lord, help them out. Open that door for them. Lord, help them to see you. Help them to believe on you. Help them to trust you, Lord. These are the things that we're supposed to do. Bringing the gospel not only to the lost tribes, wherever they may be, yes, but also to our neighbors. So David here, he, he, he's definitely talking to the enemy. He says, how are you going to tell me to flee like a bird when I trust God? If your trust is truly and purely God, the devil can't move you. See Job. See, there's a line. When, when God said that to the devil that you can, go, you can go all the way here, but don't touch his life. You know that you have a, you have a threshold that the devil can't cross? 
You have a threshold. You know what it is? He can't do nothing to your soul. Jesus said, don't fear those that can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and put the soul in hell. That's who we should fear. There's a line, that blood, that blood over our lives protects us from the, the, the demonic infiltration. David looks at the enemy. He says, how are you going to tell me to flee? When was the last time the devil told you you was too much on offense? The, look, the enemy's not going to tell you to get away unless you're on offense. Right? Most Christians just try to doggy paddle and survive. We just trying to just trying to live a quiet, peaceful life so we can attend our banquets. We 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 want to make sure that that we don't ruffle any feathers so that you know we can continue to have our comfortable, complacent, cold life. Just don't tell me the cost. Don't tell me to, to, to die to self. Don't tell me that I'm not supposed to be comfortable. That's The devil's always whispering to the church, live as comfortably as possible. And God is telling the church, die to self. Who will we listen to? The devil is whispering, live comfortably. The spirit is speaking, die to self. How are you going to pick up your cross and follow Jesus when you can't die to self? It's not comfortable to carry a cross. Now, when, when, when in, in another passage, Jesus told the, told the disciples that the gates of hell shall not prevail against thee. Right? That's offense. The gate is defense. When was the last time you saw the church get on offense and, and begin to war for others? Again, I'm not talking about so that you can get a new car, right? Oh, I'm fasting so I can get a new car. I'm fasting. I'm, I'm, I need a bigger house. I'm going to call in to 700 Club. They pray for me. I can get a new house. Come on. Let's go on offense. If, if you want to be in, in a comfortable, covetous place, the devil's going to give you a mirror so that you get stuck there. Do you want to be stuck there? How many souls in the nation of Israel died in the desert? They got stuck there. How sad would it be for the church of the living Christ to get stuck in covetousville? Covetousville. Well, the first thing I want you to see in here, well, obviously, at the very beginning, David said that in the Lord is where his trust is. Trust can't be in the comfortable part of life. Trust has to be in God and God alone, in the Lord. Put out my trust. But the second thing I want you to see is that the devil's trying to push him back. If the devil's not pushing you back, it could be because you're not contending for the faith. Right? Well, how am I going to contend for the faith, Pastor? Pray for others, number one. Share the gospel with others, number two. Right? I can't go out and do it. Well, you can pray. If there's bread, you can pray. Right? You know that the church needs intercessors? The church needs evangelists and the church needs intercessors. That's what we need. If we can get the church praying and, and sharing the gospel, we're going to see this nation turned around. But we're going to see the church turned around first. We're not going to have to play patty cake on the way to hell. We're going to save people from hell. I said earlier, it's, it's sad commentary on the church world today because the, the church world doesn't have the truth to offer the world that is dying and perishing. Giving people stickers they can wear instead of a gospel that will save their soul.
So David is, is infringing upon the enemy's camp, on the enemy's territory. That's the reason that the enemy's coming after him and telling him to flee like a bird to his mountain. If you ever begin to get into warfare, you ever begin to contend with, with the things in the spirit, you know that the enemy will try to push you back and try to calm you down, try to get you to a complacent place. If you begin to strive for the gospel, you'll begin to, you'll begin to see things. You'll begin to see that nobody invited you to be on the committee to pick what color the carpet should be. You'll begin to see things like nobody asked your opinion about what color the paint's supposed to be and nobody thanked you for doing something. You'll begin to see things like that. Why? Because the devil's showing it to you. The devil's trying to push you back from where you're getting to. So I want you to see what is your foundation? What is your foundation? Most of the church world doesn't know what their foundation is. Yeah, they, they might say something that sounds pious and religious, but they don't know the biblical foundation of what our faith is supposed to be. Look at this. David said in verse 2, For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, and they make privily shoot at the upright in heart. What's the enemy going to do? Now, to us, we're like, oh, yeah, he's going to get the bow out and all this stuff. This is, this is just simply an illustration that the enemy is going to show you the weapon he's going to use to try to destroy you. What is he talking about, pastor? He's talking about striking fear in your heart. He's, he's, talking, about, he's talking about bringing fear to the surface in your life. That's what he's talking about. You begin to, you begin to get serious about God. You begin to get serious about the things of the kingdom of God, the enemy is going to flex the imitation muscle that he has. He's going to try to strike fear into your... He'll, he'll point things out. He'll, he'll bring things to the surface. And here it says that they, they act like they're going to shoot you with the bow. But doesn't God have you? Doesn't God have a seal over your life? Doesn't God control the things that go on in our lives? Yes or no? Doesn't God protect us? Pastor, I don't feel like God protects me. You got to see what I got to go through. The only reason you got, the, the only reason you got through it is because God got you through it. Amen. You don't know what it's like to live in my shoes. Oh, I, no, I don't, but God does because he helps you through it. You wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't be on this side of the battles that you've gone through had God not gotten you through them. Amen. And if God got you through those, he'll get you through whatever comes. Amen. But the enemy's going to point out that bow and he's going to make you believe that he's about to take the kill shot on you. But every battle that you've been in before, there was always an appearance of a kill shot. You just It doesn't seem as big now right? It doesn't seem as big now. You see, whenever Joshua and Caleb went into the promised land and, and, and they took the, the, the children of the nation of Israel in with them and their first battle was where? Jericho. Do you remember why everybody said that they were like giants and we were like grasshoppers? But were they really? No. You see, the devil has a way of inflating the problem. The smoke and mirrors. Kabuki theater. He, he, he inflates the problem. And then fear comes. And he wants you to flee like a bird to that mountain. Get back. Don't you tread on that place. You're about to bring about spiritual victory in your life or someone else's life. And he doesn't want that to happen. And he's going to inflate the enemy. He's going to inflate it. And then when you begin to go through that thing, God gets you through that situation. When, when, when Joshua came up to Jericho, do you think he was probably just a little bit surprised that everybody was kind of normal size? Man, back there, they look like giants. Here, normal people. What is that? The devil's a liar. The Bible said he's been a liar from the beginning. 
Had God said, he questioned the word of God. And he always questions what you see. Now, David said that, that the enemy has an appearance that he's going to strike at the heart. Look what David's answer is right here in verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know what he's saying? You've got to link this to verse 1. He's saying, in the Lord puts he his trust. That's his foundation. His foundation is not that the enemy has 50 million bows and arrows. His foundation is not even that the enemy might kill me. His foundation is not in the, the well-being of his life. His, his foundation is that I trust God. That's his foundation. If, if he didn't have that for a foundation, he wouldn't be able to do anything is what he's saying. I wouldn't be able to do anything if my foundation was not God. If it was not that I trust God. You see, this is where the nation of Israel seriously missed it. Time after time after time. God got them out of Egypt. Brought them to the Red Sea. They didn't trust God. God got them through the Red Sea. Got them into the desert. They didn't have anything to eat. They started to complain. They didn't trust God. Then they had all kinds of food, but they didn't have any water. They got thirsty, and they began to complain. Oh, we're going to die. They didn't trust God in that either. Time after time. Then God brings them to the promised land. Even these people, some of them that worship those golden calves, brings them all the way to the promised land. Even in their lack of trust on the Red Sea, their lack of trust on the food, their lack of trust on water, and he still brings them to the promised land, and then they doubt again. Lack of trust again. Over and over and over and over. God had mercy on these people. God had mercy on these people. He had mercy on these people, but they just didn't have the foundation. Simply put, trusting God. They just didn't have it. I want you to see if you're going to make it, if you're going to be successful in your faith for God, if you're going to find your purpose and your place in the ministry and in the things that God has for you, it's going to be because you trust God. There's no Rubik's Cube that you've got to unlock. and oh, It's just simply that you trust God. If you'll trust God, God will bring your purpose to you. If you'll trust God, God will bring the plan to you. If he's got a vessel that he can use that will trust him, I'm telling you right now, God will bring the opportunity to you. Doors just don't open for me, pastor. Just trust God. God will bring the door to you and then open it for you. Ask somebody with a testimony. They'll tell you. Well, I don't know what happened. He just showed up and just dropped right there in my lap. Ask somebody with a testimony. And they'll tell you. It was a test. But I just held on to God. I trusted God. And then it just opened. It just went. But it all comes down to trusting God. Is that your foundation? What is your foundation? Is your foundation the comfortable level of life? sometimes God might have to take us out of our comfort zones to get us to our purpose. Well, pastor, you know, I'm just not comfortable talking to people. Well, you know what? I failed public speaking in college. Look what God did. I was not comfortable. Never have been, but I'm not ashamed of my God. I think about what he did for me, and I give myself to him. See, it's, it's not about, well, I'm just not comfortable talking. I'm not comfortable doing, does God really, I mean, come on. Do, do we have to tell God, Lord, I'm not comfortable doing that? Is he not worth it? Is he not worth it? And, and so we see so many people that are bound and they won't find that place that God has for them because it ever, the temperature has to be right. Right? 
like Goldilocks, right? It's too hot. It's too cold. Well, what's just right? Not doing anything. What, what, what is it that you really want to do? Just nothing. I just want to just kind of chill. Yeah, that, the church has been chilling. It's been chilling so much we're lukewarm. The church has just been chilling, idling by. All we do now is have banquets and conferences and go on the merry-go-round while the world goes to hell. We're good at building buildings, but we're not good at building the kingdom. Hey, I got an idea. Let's sell some donuts and coffee. That'll get to the devil. Well, no, that'll make us comfortable. We've got to get outside of the comfortable part and get to the place where we're willing servants for God, that we're willing to be wrecked, that we're willing to be exposed, that we're willing to put our lives on the line, that we're willing to be ridiculed and mocked. We might even suffer loss or damage. But knowing that God is our trust, knowing that if God's got us, he's got us. If he don't have us, then he don't have us. I want you to know he's got you. He's never let one of his children down. He said in John 10 that he's the good shepherd. Is he? A good shepherd knows his sheep. Does he know you? A good shepherd knows sheep by name. Does he know you by name? Look, the Bible said, Jesus said that, that every one of your hairs, God's numbered. And he said that even the sparrows, that they don't fall to the ground without God knowing it. And then he said, you're of more value than the sparrows. Do you believe it? Do you believe, honestly believe that not one sparrow falls to the ground without God Almighty knowing it? Do you believe that he's too busy to know? Do you believe that he's not omniscient enough? Do you believe that he's not all-knowing enough? Or do you truly believe that even a sparrow that falls in the backwoods of South Texas right now, sparrow falls, boom, do you believe God knows it? And Jesus said that you're of more value to God than that sparrow. You know why? You were created in God's image. You were created in the image of God, and he bought you with his own blood at Calvary. He's got you. There's nothing that's going to happen to his children. Look at Job. Nothing was going to happen to Job. The devil could not kill him. And God restored to him multiple over what the enemy took. Does God have you? Is that your foundation? Is your foundation the fact that you trust God? Or is your foundation the fact that you got money in the bank or that you've got a roof over your head or that you've got food in the pantry? Because if that's your foundation, it might get shaken soon. Is your foundation that you've got an air conditioner because it might break? Then when it breaks, oh, God doesn't love me. Come on, get, get on the right foundation and you won't get shaken. Get on the right foundation. It never moves. It never changes. It never fails. The foundation that we're talking about is the rock of Jesus Christ. And no person's ever got on it and been let down. Right? How many people around the world tonight are trusting that foundation? They're not trusting their bank account. They're not even trusting the prosperity of their life. They're not even trusting the fact that they'll get to go home tonight. There's people in other parts of the world that they're going to church and they don't know if they're going to make it home. Islamic terrorists may hide out for them on the side of the road and kill them or kidnap them. And yet these people still go to church. 
You only can do that if your foundation is Jesus. Now turn with me to, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Can your foundation be shaken? Hmm? Can your foundation be shaken? I've seen many people's foundation be shaken. Lose a job. And, and, and I'm not trying to belittle that. Because, that, I mean, it's scary. A testimony, you know, everybody wants that testimony, but nobody wants that, that price tag called test to get it. I'll take that testimony if you got one on clearance. Nope. God never puts a testimony on the clearance rack. You've always got to pay for it full price. Test. Test. Remember when we were pregnant with our first kid? First week we found out we were pregnant with our first kid. Lose job. Hey, hallelujah. This is exciting. Test, right? And you know what? God opened doors. I didn't have to call people for a job. Somebody called me that I never knew. Never knew them. Never met them a day in my life. Didn't even put in an application, and they called me. Somehow, God made a way. Somehow. I'm not special. I'm just a child of God. I just have a good shepherd. And if you're a child of God, you have a good shepherd too. Do you trust him? What's your foundation? What is your foundation? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's start with verse 16. Somewhere I want to go, but I, I can't take too much of a detour. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's start with verse 16. It says, but shun profane and vain babblings. Now, the... the the definition for shun, you really don't need the Greek, Latin, or Hebrew. It just means tell them shh, shun. Just take those first two letters and tell those people that do that shh, right? Shun them. Tell them no. It says shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. This is Basically, damning character and doctrine. What is it? Well, if it's profane, it means that it uses God's name, but it's not of God. Ooh, God's going to give me a 24-carat airplane. God is? When Jesus didn't have a house? Right? God is? When Paul was a tent maker? You know that Paul was bivocational, don't you? He was a tent maker. Hallelujah. But profane people profane God. And that's what he's talking about. They're saying that they attribute things to God that's not of God. And then what is vanity? Vanity is whenever it's just useless, pointless. Pointless. Buy my DVD. It's okay. I got the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. I don't need it. What's vain and what's profane? Now, look at this. It says, in their word, if you listen to it, if you listen to it, if you receive it, if you, if you allow it into your life, it comes with a cost. It's like if you eat too much candy. You can't call the dentist and say, what's wrong? You say, look what you did. That's what's wrong. And if you listen to vain and profane words and babblings, it's going to do what he says right here. It's going to eat. You know what it's going to eat? It's going to tear away the foundation. Look at this. It says that their word will eat as doth a canker. It's a... Ulcer. One definition says gangrene. 
Another definition said ulcer. I choose to focus on the ulcer. Do you ever had one of those? Every, if you have a mouth ulcer, and the, 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 um, the implication was an ulcer in the mouth, every time you swallow, it hurts. Right? Every time. And this, and this talking about this will do this to your soul. It says that it'll eat, their word will eat as does the canker. So if you listen to profane or vain things, it's going to increase into ungodliness. In other words, if somebody doesn't have the truth, if they just flirt with the truth and they have profane and vain things, they're going to get more ungodly over time because they don't have a standard. They don't have the standard of righteousness. They don't have that standard of holiness. They don't have the standard of the word of God. And over time, they will develop into more ungodly ways. And if you begin to receive those things, it will eat like an ulcer. It says, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus. Why is that important that God put their names in there? Sometimes you got to call names. Sometimes you got to do exposing. Sometimes you got to say, hey, they're wrong. It says, who concerning the truth have erred, and this was their error, saying that the resurrection has passed already and overthrow the faith of some. What were they? they were going around denying the resurrection was happening. They were going around telling people you missed it. And they were destroying faith as they went. You see, some people, they'll get a new doctrine in a minute. They'll come up with new stuff. They'll, they'll begin to teach new things. And, and when we're not grounded in the word of God and we're not filled with the spirit of God, we'll begin to give heed to those things and it'll overthrow our faith. That's what was happening. But look at verse 19, though. This, this is the beautiful part. You know, this is the beautiful part. It's always great when, when God says, nevertheless, right after something bad. You know what? The enemy does these things. He's run, and, and, and these people were listening to ungodly things, and it was destroying. And God says, nevertheless, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. God's foundation, just like David said. God's foundation is not shaken. It's not changing. It is sure. God's foundation is as solid today as it was yesterday. It's as solid today as it was at Azusa Street. It's as solid today as it was in the Welsh Revival. It's as solid today as it was in the Moravian Revival or any other revival. And at the upper room, all the way back to Adam. The foundation of God is sure. It will not move. It will not let you down. The good shepherd is good. And the foundation is sure. Look at this. This is so good. The foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Do you realize what he's saying? The foundation of God is that God knows you. The foundation that is sure is that God knows you. Does God know you? Does God know you? To be known of God means that you're one of his sheep. You know what? You can look like Joshua and Caleb did at, at, at the promised land with all the enemies in it and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt I don't know how victory's coming but I know victory's coming because God knows me I'm his no matter what happens in your life you can look at it and know God knows about this I'm his he knows me right it gives an assurance it'll give you something to stand on when you know that God knows you that's the foundation. My foundation is not in my bank account. It can't be in my health. It can't be in my finances. It can't be in the productivity of the way things appear or the color of the way things appear. My foundation must rest on this fact. God knows me. He loved me. He died for me. 
I believed on him. He knows me. Praise God he knows you. If he knows you, you should praise God for that because that foundation can never be shaken. He knows us. You know what's amazing? Is that even people who do great exploits for God have to come to this one point. Even people that do great things for God, they must come to this greater issue of knowing God. Of knowing God. Do you know that there's some people that will do great things for God but not know God or be known of God? I'm doing this for God. Well, that's good. Does God know you? Does God know you? Because if you do things for God but God doesn't know you, it doesn't count. Might be ripping off a Band-Aid right there, but I'll show you in just a second. The most important thing that we can stand on and rest on is the fact that God knows us and that we know God. Does he know you? In the, the, the second sentence of this verse, it says, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That means if God knows you, you're going to live for God. Oh, he knows me, so I'm just going to just prop my feet up. Just chill. The church has been chilling. It's time for the church to get hot. We, we've been chilling for too long. Right? Are, are you tired of building programs? Honestly. When, when was the last time the church, just everybody, went out into the community to spread the kingdom? Well, you could probably give one or two examples. But we could give hundreds and hundreds of buildings. Right? But the Bible says here, let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. That means that you live a separated life unto God. Paul said that. Paul said, the world is crucified to me and I to it. That's what he's talking about. God separated you from the world and you live a separated life unto God. Not in the middle. Well, sometimes I do this, sometimes I do that. Now it's all the way. God knows you, you're his, then live a separated life unto him. Right? And that, that will take you to that place of going on offense like David was. Well, David got picked on a lot, right? Yeah, he was a warrior for God. God told him he was a bloody man. There was blood all over his hands. Why? He was always fighting battles. Some wrong battles, but he was always fighting battles. Right? Church today, man, we're selling bagels, not fighting battles. Would you like some cream and sugar with your coffee? No, I'd like to see the kingdom advance. Let everyone the name of the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now, let me show you this in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Hallelujah. God's good, isn't he? What's your foundation? Can I ask you what your foundation is? Can your foundation be shaken? A lot of people, you know, we, we, we may grow in this thing. A lot of times we grow into it. And, and if, if everybody was honest, we could all point, put a finger on a point in time where our faith got shook. But when you come to this kind of place, this is where you'll have a faith that will endure the trials and afflictions. We're coming into a season where God is going to bring the church into the battle. You can say the church has been on vacation or you can say the church has been in hibernation. Neither one fits, right? But I believe now is the time that God's bringing the church to battle. There's souls. 
There's souls at stake. And that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sharing the gospel, bringing, bringing the, the spirit of God to those that are weary and weak and downtrodden, those that are afflicted. They don't need coffee and donuts. They need, they need to come to altars and find Christ. Listen to this in Matthew 7. Now, you probably know where I'm going, but I'm going there. Matthew 7, verse number 21. I said earlier that, that, that even those who do great works has to come to this greater issue, which is knowing God. Remember me saying that? People, there's some people that are just anointed to do great things. Do you agree? Some people are just anointed to do great things. But even those kind of people have to come to the greater issue, which is knowing God. What am I saying to you? I'm saying the greater issue is knowing God. That's what I'm saying to you. Yes, but I need to do this and I need to. Yes, you do. But the greater issue is knowing God. The greater issue is knowing God. Our foundation is that he knows us. It, it, it speaks of communion and intimacy with God. Everything that we do must be birthed from a place of consecration to God. Not out of duty, out of devotion must the church rise. The church can't go anywhere with somebody cracking the whip. It's because we're compelled by love. As we get lost in our relationship with God, we'll begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And you won't need Pastor Kenny telling you, now don't be doing this, don't be doing that. You'll love what God loves and you'll hate what he hates. And that's the definition of repentance, by the way. So it says in verse 21, not everyone, now Jesus is saying this, red letters. If you got a red letter Bible, it's red letters. You know, some people just have black letters. That's okay. This comes from Jesus, though. Verse 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Jesus saying this, not everyone that saith unto me, the Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Now, based on what we've gone through already in this message, what do you think is the greatest thing that would do the will of the Father? Knowing the one that loves you. Knowing the one that bought you with his own blood. Communing with the one who spent everything. Do you realize that the blood of Christ was the most valuable thing that could ever possibly be? If he didn't withhold the son from you, I promise you he won't withhold anything you need. On the authority of the word of God, I can say that. How shall he not freely with him give us all things, says the Lord? So not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done Many wonderful works. Is that your foundation? What you've done? Can't be. Can't be your foundation. When somebody asks you what's your foundation, you can't say, well, I serve in ministry. I teach Sunday school. I work. I labor in the kingdom. I give to the poor. I serve at the buffet. This can't be our answer. Because when the enemy brings and draws back that bow and that arrow is pointed straight at you, you can't say, but I serve. You have to say, I belong to him. That's what David was saying. David said, I'm not going to run like a bird. I trust in God. Flex your bow. 
My foundation is not shaken because I trust in the Lord. That's what he was saying. So these, these people, it says in verse 22, these people said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Right? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. The Lord equated iniquity to those that casted out devils. He equated iniquity to those that prophesied in his own name. He equated iniquity to those that did wonderful works. For one reason, they didn't have a foundation. God didn't know them. God didn't know them. Oh, the most important thing that we can get, church, is this foundation. God knows you. God knows you. You know what we call, that's, that's the Holy Spirit in you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. If God be for you, who can be against you? You see, we say these things, but the foundation is this one thing. Does God know me? Does God know me? If God knows me, then my foundation is sure. There's coming a shaking. There's coming a shaking. If you read the Bible with any kind of education from just simply having a sixth grade understanding, you see things aren't going to get better. There are wars and rumors of wars, tribulation, pestilence, earthquakes. These are the beginning of sorrows. Like a woman in birth pains, there may be reprieves from time to time, and I pray for the sake of the lost, there is one, so that there can be a great harvest. But just like birth pains, every woman that's ever given childbirth knows when that pain lets up, you can count on it and bake on it, and it's coming back, and it's coming back stronger until Christ comes. And we see this clearly, plainly in Scripture. So the, the shaking is, is coming. May not come tomorrow, may not come this year, but it's coming. I believe 2020 was a shaking. A lot of people's foundation got shook. But if God knew them, their foundation was not shaken. If that's what they stood on, right? If that's what you stand on, the devil can't shake that. That is something only the blood of Christ purchases that God knows you. You can't cross that. And Jesus said in verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. That rock is Christ. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it fell not, for it was founded Upon a rock. Look, if you build a foundation of trusting the Lord, it'll never be shaken. It might be tested. The wind and the rain might beat on it, but it won't, it won't falter. It won't fail you. God won't, God won't not answer. You won't cry out to God and get a busy signal. God knows you because he's a good shepherd. When, you're, when, you, when you are a believer, when you're one of his sheep, he knows you because he's a good shepherd. You're not in the corner of the pasture outside of his purview. 
You're not beyond the grasp of his reign. You're not in a corner where you're just kind of getting by, just kind of on the fringes, and you know, you're just trying to just get through things. God is very aware of you, of your life, if you're his. The foundation of our life must be that he knows us. If it is, if it is, praise God for that. If it's not, come to Christ. Come to Christ. If it's not the foundation of your life, God, he will make it sure right now. He will give you that foundation now. You might have had it in the past and kind of gotten away from it. Okay, sometimes sheep wander. Jesus used an awesome illustration. 99 sheep, they are all right. One goes awry. You know what the good shepherd does? He comes running. He comes and he doesn't stop looking till he finds that one. And he brings it back. This message might just be God's way of bringing you back to a sure foundation. Renewing your faith. Restoring the purity of the foundation. Hallelujah. Praise God for that. This is what I believe God is speaking right now. When the shaking comes, make sure you're on the right rock. Hallelujah.